Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, the Lord commands. Let the hills hear your voice. This scene in our reading from the prophet Micah is reminiscent of a courtroom where God and God's people Israel hash out the contours of their covenantal relationship. God offers powerful testimony of God's enduring faithfulness, reminding the people of Israel that it was none other than the Lord who brought them up from Egypt, leading them to the promised land through Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. In response, Micah calls his people to account, not to meaningless sacrifice, but to lives worthy of this faithfulness. And what does the Lord require of you, Micah asks, in a line that somehow perfectly captures the whole of Judeo-Christian ethics, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I love this image. There is something powerful that I feel deep in my body in being called to rise, to stand before God with only the mountains to bear witness, in letting the hills hold me to account, to be asked, to be required, to live a life worthy of God's faithfulness, a life of justice, kindness, and humility. Our gospel passage from Matthew is on a different mountain, with a different approach, some seven centuries later, where Jesus preaches his famous sermon on the mount. The imagery here on this mountain is totally different. Instead of rising up, Jesus sits down. Instead of a courtroom, we find a gathering place of communal blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We almost know these lines by heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And eventually, this shift to make clear exactly just who Jesus is talking to. Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Where Micah calls his people to stand accountable to God, Jesus sits down with them his ragtag group of disciples risking their lives to follow him. He affirms their experiences of persecution and trial and grief and meekness, not only as okay, but as the very things that make them worthy of God's kingdom. He affirms that they are good, beloved, that they are on the right track, assuaging the fears that must have been paramount. When my partner Kevin, who is here in the house, when we were first dating 10 years ago now, we had some disagreements about the meaning of the word love. He, raised both Jewish and Catholic in a raucous family in Kentucky, thinks about love as accountability. He believes that people are capable of integrity and righteousness and, most importantly, growth. 
and he shows his love by holding people he cares about to high standards for all three. I, on the other hand, was raised a New England Protestant in a family where we all seem to need affirmation all the time. (laughs) I grew up understanding love as affirmation. I show my love by affirming the heck out of people and telling them that I love them over and over and over again. That Kevin became a lawyer and I a minister is no surprise. He revels in holding corporations accountable for their harmful practices, which is good work. Whereas all I ever want to do is effusively love on everyone I meet in a way that I might add Kevin sometimes finds over the top. (laughs) It only took a few late night conversations in those early days of romance to realize, of course, that we are both right. Love is both. Love is both holding people to account to who they can be while also affirming exactly who they are. This juxtaposition between an integration of love as accountability and love as affirmation shapes how I think about love and honestly has shaped how I think about ministry. Sometimes love means pushing people in accountability, and sometimes love means holding them in in affirmation. And in that balance between the two, there is sweetness and there is growth. So as I wrestled with our text this evening, the the idea of God's love as both accountability and affirmation was on my mind. That balance that seems almost perfectly illustrated between the courtroom of Micah and the communal blessing of the Sermon on the Mount. But as I dug deeper into these texts, I noticed something. Accountability and affirmation described in the text are the response to God's love, not the love itself. Both accountability and affirmation are the response to God's love, not God's love itself. In Micah, God speaks first a testimony reminding the Israelites of God's faithfulness. Micah's call to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, it is in response to this faithfulness. In Matthew, the blessedness of those gathered around Jesus is also stated first. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. The affirmation of goodness and future reward, the comforting promise of the coming kingdom of heaven, It comes only after that blessing. In both texts, God's faithfulness, God's blessing is the root, the source of the act of love, whether that that love is accountability or affirmation. In other words, God's faithfulness, God's blessing, God's love, it somehow just is. A few days ago around the refectory here at Richmond Hill, where all good things happen, we had a lively conversation about what it means to be people of God. I know we're kind of nerdy like that. But as someone who is deeply mistrustful of anything that reeks of self-righteousness, probably because of my propensity towards it on my worst days, 
I am skeptical of any language that suggests that some people are closer to God than others. I am particularly skeptical of anyone who thinks that they are closer to God than others. Smug piety, quite simply, is the worst. Too often, what it, the, an understanding of what it means to be God's people is interpreted to mean that, that we are in the in-group and that we know who God likes better than whom. And in the words of Anne Lamott, we know that God hates the very same people that we do. So much violence is built on that assumption. It is the root of intertwining ideologies of supremacy, white supremacy, Christian supremacy, ruling class supremacy, heteronormative supremacy, that says that some people are closer to God than others, that some people are more deserving of God's love than others, that some people are more deserving of life than others. These ideologies, I might add, kill people. They kill people like Tyree Nichols, like George Floyd, like Marcus David Peters. In both of our texts tonight, God calls people into a being, be it the people of Israel or the followers of Jesus, to know that their belovedness is not rooted in supremacy over anyone else, but their belovedness, God's belovedness, it just is. It is there to be lived into. And as people of God, we have got to trust it. That is our call, to trust in God's belovedness, in God's faithfulness. Because trusting in God's faithfulness, trusting in God's blessing, trusting in God's love of ourselves, of our neighbors, of all of creation, that is faith. And that is what it means to be a people of God. And if we actually trust that we are God's beloved, we don't need to fall into the dual traps of self-righteousness or self-rejection. We don't need to cling to ideologies of supremacy that say we are more than less or others. We can trust in this incomprehensible love that somehow inexplicably just is. And it is from this faith in our belovedness, neither over nor under anyone else, that then we can rise up, stand before the mountain, hold ourselves and our world to account with the rubric of Micah, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And it is from this faith in our own belovedness that we can sit down on the mountain with Jesus alongside the poor in spirit, the meek, the grieving, the oppressed, and the marginalized, and be blessed alongside and amongst them. So Richmond Hill, what would it look like if we actually trusted in God's love? What would it look like for you personally if you actually trusted that divine spark inside you? What would it look like for us as a community? as a city. When I first arrived as interim associate pastor here, I sat down with the Reverends Janie Walker and T. Turner to discuss this role. And I was full of doubt, unsure of myself, unsure if I had what that role required. 
Pastors Walker and Turner looked at me, and I'll never forget, they said, Lindsay, God has got this place. Trust that God is here. I will admit that at times these past four years, it has been hard to find that trust. Challenges that could never have been foreseen have plagued this place, from COVID-19 to some internal strife to turnover and burnout and this recent pipe burst that is somehow way more dramatic than you might think it could be. I love this place fiercely, and... I have also held a lot of angst for Richmond Hill. Kevin knows this. (laughs) Wanting us to be better, to be stronger and more active in our commitment to racial and social justice issues that plague our city, to do more outside our walls for the oppressed, the marginalized, and the poor in spirit. And yet, in these past few months, something has shifted where I feel, feel like I finally get the wisdom of those pastors. The moments that I feel, there are moments that I feel that trust seeping in. It's not a trust that everything is going to be fine. We know that everything is not going to be fine. But it is a trust in God's love, deep in my body, that is simply here, in this place, in me, and in each and every one of you. And it is by this faith, this trust in God's faithfulness, that we go out and we live lives worthy of it. It is by faith that we wring out the forces of white supremacy, Christian supremacy, ruling class supremacy, heteronormative supremacy from this place and from this city, from our systems of policing, education, transportation, housing, and mass incarceration. It is by faith that we stand in solidarity with those whom Jesus loved, the poor in spirit, the marginalized, the grieving, and the oppressed. It is by faith that we do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.